Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. Today I'm going to be talking about how much Romeo is presented as an impulsive character in Shakespeare's Romeo and Juliet. Now this is obviously one of Shakespeare's best loved plays um, and with good reason. It's an absolute whirlwind of action over just four days. Romeo uh, goes from being madly in love with a woman called Rosaline who incidentally we never actually meet or see on stage and then he sees Juliet for the first time falls desperately in love with her um, and then they're getting married and then um, he's banished and then um, they are um, taking their own lives just a few days later it's all an absolute whirlwind and the key thing to discuss really is how much Romeo's behaviour is uh, impulsive and how much of it, is there anything else going on here? Is it what's driving his actions? Um, and this unpicking of Romeo's motives is going to be really important for success in analysing the play. Now, there's a lot of different critical responses to this. Um, and um, Robert Applebaum um, wrote an essay about the pressures of masculinity in the play. And I do find this a really interesting line of thought to go down. This idea that um, Romeo's pursuit of masculinity may impact upon his impulsiveness. In other words, he may be acting in what he believes to be the ideal masculine way to act um, and it seems like there's these two polarized identities that Romeo can pursue. One of them is the masculine identity of violence uh, which is exhibited by a lot of the male characters in the play um, and then the other one is the kind of courtly lover persona um, which is at the other end of the spectrum. Now, obviously, when we meet Romeo at the beginning of the play, he's very much the courtly lover persona. He's mooning over Rosaline and he's, you know, locking himself away in his room, drawing down the blinds and not talking to anyone. Um, but everyone else in the play seems to be very engaged with this idea of action and physical violence, with this feud that's going on between the Montagues and the Capulets. So at the beginning, um, Romeo's mother remarks that she is glad that he wasn't involved in this fray that has just occurred. Um, what happens across the course of the action of the play is Romeo gets gradually drawn in, uh, kind of sucked in, as it were, into this vortex of violence. It's just unavoidable in the world of the play, in the world of Verona. And, and Romeo actually feels, I think, by the end of the play that he has no choice that he basically the actions that he takes are you know there's only one course of action um with the fact that he's he's penned himself into this situation now it's interesting that there's a lot of evidence to suggest that Romeo feels quite inadequate from the beginning of the play in his own masculinity because when he is when we see him talking to Benvolio, for example, he he is very much acting a persona here, you know, ah, sad hours seem long, I me, you know, these kind of um, dramatic phrases seem to be quite 
calculated in some ways. They seem to be him deliberately playing this role of, you know, ah, woe is me. You know, I love Rosaline. She's she's not giving me mercy. You know, this is a kind of a courtly love thing that happens. You know, the, the guy adores the woman. The woman keeps shunning him. And then maybe eventually one day she might say yes. So Romeo seems to be really into this identity that he's got. And he very much talks in this hyperbolic language. He uses a lot of oxymorons and juxtapositions. Oh, brawling love, oh, loving hate. And the extremities of his language reflect the extremities of his character, really, that he's pushing himself to be this, not just someone who's a little bit in love, but someone who's absolutely consumed with desire, longing and love. So nothing's done by half measures. Everything is is extreme. But that extremity means that Romeo's very up and down as a character. He's very volatile emotionally um, and it's it's going from very high highs to very low lows. And so, you know, at the moment he's out of favour where he is in love with Rosaline. So, you know, he's um, in the lowest ebb. Um, and then as soon as he meets Juliet and Juliet responds favorably he's on the mountaintop again because he's found someone who returns uh, his favor the problem with a character like this is that it's difficult to take Romeo seriously and it's interesting the other characters you know you see Benvolio kind of laughing at him um, and he's a little bit offended you know does thou not laugh at my big speech um, and Benvolio says no because I would rather weep it's that idea of Potentially, they have seen Romeo go through this cycle many times. It's not anything new. It's not anything unusual, particularly for a young man to be going through these feelings. So in that sense, it does make it difficult for us to trust Romeo. Um, But that's precisely Juliet's problem. Um, In a sense, Juliet, even though she doesn't know Romeo per se, Juliet seems really aware that Romeo is using his role as a courtly lover as a way of asserting his identity and particularly his masculinity. Ro- uh, Juliet feels very aware, basically, that, that Romeo's giving her the same lines that he's given every other girl. Um, and in that sense, it's really interesting. There's some feminist criticism of the play. Um, for example, Carolyn Brown writes about Juliet's taming of Romeo Uh, and she argues that Juliet as soon as she hears these kind of cliches that Romeo churns out she interrupts him cuts him off and she really tells him quite clearly what she wants from him and she doesn't want hyperbolic language she doesn't want comparisons oh swear not by the moon what she wants from him is action So Juliet challenges Romeo to get rid of this exaggerated language and start to walk the talk, as it were. And it's interesting that Juliet actually um, refers to the process of falconry. Um, So falconry, back, back in Shakespeare's day, you know, rich people might train a bird of prey, a, a bird of prey like a falcon, um, and the way they would do that is a is a really long drawn out process. Um, but basically, they would uh, hood the creature. Um, they would get the the creature trained to you know receive food from their own hand, 
and then they would gradually be able to send the creature off to fly uh to kill prey and then to bring that prey back um so it was a, it was a long process but juliet basically refers in several different um sections of the play that she wants a falconer's voice to sort of tame romeo um and she refers to romeo as a tassel gentle which is kind of like this in this process of training um and it, it's it's really interesting because um what carolyn brown suggests is that juliet trains romeo to change his very language um and you know she basically gets him to um act upon his desire by booking the wedding um the very next day so it's interesting that juliet gets what she wants um and romeo adapts romeo adapts his language and adapts his behavior um he turns up he marries juliet the very next day but then obviously romeo gets into trouble because when tybalt kills mercutio he feels responsible because basically he didn't want to fight tybalt because of tybalt's being juliet's cousin and he feels that his love for juliet has basically made him effeminate um and he bl- he kind of blames Juliet for that. So then he obviously takes up arms, he lashes out back and he kills Tibble, which then leads to this situation where he's banished um, as well. It- it's interesting that this behaviour in some ways is self-destructive. You know, he's tr- attempting to assert himself through aggression, which is a typical sort of masculine trait. Um, but in doing so, he actually you know, in seeking honour through violence, he's actually undoing his own honour. He's undoing his reputation and his situation with Juliet as well. Now, he seems to, in many ways, end up distancing himself. He's distanced himself at the beginning uh, in his love for Rosaline. And then in his actions in Killing Tubble, he ends up banished. And again, he's distanced from other people. So Romeo never really seems to be absorbed into the community of Verona uh, into the play he's always a little bit of an isolated figure and in that sense it does make it believable that he sees suicide as the only solution to his problem he can't prove himself through violence he can't prove himself through love so his only way out now is death Um, and you know yes we could argue that there's a, a turbulence of grief that Romeo acts upon when he hears that Juliet is apparently dead. Um, but there's also a sense in which there's a a calculatedness to it too. You know, he goes out, he gets the poison, he pays off um, the guy who gives him the poison, he drives to the, the tomb, he, he fights Paris, kills Paris... He takes that that potion, uh, the poison, and he, he and he dies. And there is a sense in which, you know, yes, he's acting in grief, but he really genuinely feels there's nowhere else for him to go. Um, and it's a sense for Romeo that you could argue he has many different flaws. Perhaps impulsiveness is one of these flaws. But in a sense, he's trying to take on this heroic identity and always struggling to achieve it and in a sense in the courage that it takes for him to die at the end 
he is finally achieving that heroism although you know in, in a sadly self-destructive way so there's there's lots to weigh up with Romeo and different people will interpret the play in different ways but the key thing is to always refer to the language of the text you know how he presents himself and how the structure of the text presents him as this kind of struggling hero um who at the end of the play finally finds closure if you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful please hit subscribe and share it with a friend you can find me on instagram and twitter just search for teach me lit i'm always open to requests so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying get in touch Thank you for listening. See you next time on the Teach Me Lit podcast.